kind of interesting, you know, just uh, kind of paralleling with what we talked about Sunday and then tonight. I don't know how many of you uh, saw the article in, in the uh, news today uh, that the mayor of Houston, uh, who is a, an avowed practicing lesbian, has requested, uh, I think uh, legally, um, has uh, demanded that I think it's like 40 pastors, uh, churches in the Houston area that are evangelical um, churches. Uh, they have been ordered by the uh, by this by the court. They have a court order to turn over to the mayor of Houston um, every sermon, every article, every email every documented conversation they've had with anybody on the issue of homosexuality. And the reason she's doing this is because city of Houston decided that they were going to put in place an ordinance in Houston that would allow transsexuals to use either bathroom. So if they, you know, uh, were in the mood to use the men's bathroom, they could use the men's bathroom. If they wanted to use the female bathroom, use the female bathroom. That, that to make them choose one or the other was discrimination. So they just passed this sweeping ordinance that basically said that transsexuals, uh, people who had a confused gender identity, uh, we used to call that demon possession, but we have disorders for it now. But anyway, uh, she basically just decided that um, they were going to just pass this ordinance. So the churches, city leaders kind of got their heads together and decided, and this just is a novel idea, that the people, the, the, the residents of Houston ought to have a say in what their laws are. So they got together, and I think they had to get like, I don't know how many signatures, but they got, I think, like three, four times the number of signatures that they needed to force the ordinance to a ballot initiative um, in November. Well, the city council or, or whoever uh, basically threw the, all of the petitions out and, and just said that there were uh, irregularities on that and just threw the whole thing out. Court order stands. They are um, being court ordered. These, these uh, uh, named pastors are being court ordered to hand over all this information pertaining to the subject of homosexuality, and if they fail to comply, then they will be held in contempt of court. Now, what's interesting about that is this is exactly what I've said is coming. Um, the, the, and, and all it takes is just beginning to put people in positions where they have the power and the authority to do this. This is why elections matter. This is why when you, when you vote in immoral, godless leaders, you can't complain when they do immoral, godless things because that's who they are. And so, you know, this past Sunday, uh, you know, um, given what I kind of talked about, you know, people ask me, did you get any flack? I always get flack. I mean, I feel like if, there, if there's a Sunday that goes by and I'm preaching a sermon and I don't get some flack from someone, I'm probably not doing my job. And, and it doesn't, it really doesn't bother me and I don't go out of my way to be offensive because I don't think you have to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I just think if you preach the truth, the Bible says you're going to offend people. 
I mean, most of you know if you've been coming here longer than a month, you've, been at, you've probably been offended at least once. Truth does that to me. Truth does that to you. And, you know, so, you know, people on, you know, Sunday morning, boy, you really kind of gave it, you know, to the gays. I said, I gave it to everybody. I didn't just pick on, on homosexuals. I mean, I talked about uh, on Sunday, if you're living with somebody and you're not married to them and you're having sexual relations, that is immoral. It is against God's precepts. You need to stop. If you're married, having an affair, you may think there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible's very clear that that is adultery. And it is an affront to a holy God. You need to stop. If you're watching pornography, I didn't just go after gays. I went after everybody that's living outside uh, of a a moral uh, lifestyle. But again, my whole point being on this is that this issue is going to be coming directly to the churches. And then I'll tell you what, this isn't going to be the first time somebody attempts to come after the churches for their positions on this. Um, and so again, this just kind of really dovetails nicely in, in that, you know what, these pastors are being persecuted because of their faith. They're, they are being tried, and they're going through a a, a trial, what James talks about in here, and they're going through that because that's what James says. He says, you're going to face trials of many kinds. This is one of those trials, churches and pastors, we're going to face uh, in, in this culture, in this society. I mean, for the, for the life of me, the fact that we are, are putting ordinances in that really kind of affect, you know, probably less than 1% of the population in Houston, and, and just to, to, to do that and not think that there's not going to be any pushback from all of the other people in Houston, it's just crazy. I, mean, I can't even begin to understand why you would be enacting those kinds of things in Houston, but it's being done. And so again, when, when these kinds of things come, these are the kinds of trials that James is talking about. And he says, you know what? Consider it pure joy. Consider it genuine joy. Don't get caught up in fear. Don't start dreading. Don't start wringing your hands, why me? It's going to happen. If you're living, and I've said this, if you are living passionately, For Jesus, you are going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus said, I was, you will be. The world didn't love me. The world is not going to love you. And yet what we are always trying to do is to get the world to like us, to love us. They're not going to. There's going to come a point, a dividing line, bless you, There's going to come a point, a dividing line, when you're living passionately for Jesus, that you are going to offend those who are not. And and this is what James is getting at in here. Again, we kind of think, you know, trials and tribulations. Oh, my car broke down. Oh, my roof leaks. That's not what James is talking about. It applies But what he's really talking about here is consider it pure, real, genuine joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind because you know. 
because you're confident. You understand, James is saying, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, what I love about the pastors in Houston is, as they stand strong for Jesus, he is going to develop perseverance in them. They're going to get stronger through what they're going through. As long as they just consider and keep their focus on the scripture, on the word. Last week we finished up talking about the three ways uh, that James' testament gives us in handling our trials, our problems. Those challenges that, that come when we are being persecuted for our faith. And we talked about that. Rejoice. Again, consider it pure joy. Rejoice. They talked about request, and that is prayer. We're just asking for wisdom in situations that that come upon us. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? So we're, we're asking for wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men without criticism. And then the third thing we talked about was relax. Trust that God is in control. That ultimately, God has the situation well in hand. God is not trying to figure out what to do here. He's not stumped. We just relax and we know that whatever we're going through, whatever trial, whatever challenge, whatever tribulation we're going through, God has it under control. You know, this whole Ebola thing, I mean, yeah, you can get all fearful about that. Or you can relax and trust that God has it under control. So most of us, um, and we talked about this, we kind of started talking about this last week, you know, in making wise decisions. And we're going to kind of turn our focus tonight to begin to talk about that. How do you make wise decisions? Like I said last week, most of us, we are experts in making dumb decisions. I mean, I could write a book on all the dumb decisions I've made in my life. I've often thought, you know what, I would love to be able to go back and redo some parts of my life because I thought, you know, I learned so much through that that I'd just love to go back and just do it right. But you know, as more I thought about that, I kind of thought, you know, if I went back and tried to, to, to correct that, I'd probably just make another dumb mistake in the midst of trying to correct that one. And you just spend all your time trying to go back and correct it. So how do you make wise decisions moving forward? Can't go back. So how do you make godly decisions? We want to talk about that tonight. Life is full of decisions. I oftentimes just, you know, uh, like to think about, you know, that, that in life, I mean, if you think about this, I mean, you, you really make very few major decisions. Stop and think about that. I mean, you make a lot of decisions, but in life, I mean, you really make uh, a, a few really huge decisions. I mean, huge decisions like, you know, uh, what am I going to do for a career? You know, a, a huge decision. You know, am I going to get married? Who am I going to marry? Huge decision. Are we going to have kids? I mean, those, those are the kinds of huge decisions a lot of us make. But there's not a lot of those really huge decisions that we make. And yet we spend a lifetime managing those few major decisions 
we make. Isn't that true? And so again, uh, that's where we just, we need wisdom in making wise, godly decisions. And in, in, in not just the big ones, but also um, in, the, in the little ones. Frank Borum once said, he said, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. The quality of your life is going to be determined by the decisions you make in your life. I mean, I, I mean, it's sad a lot of times when people come in for counseling, um, they'll usually come at a point when they are just at the absolute bottom of life. And you kind of begin to talk to them about how they got to this point. And you know what? It, in, in, in 99% of the cases, it wasn't just one really bad decision. It was like a whole series, um, sometimes just years of really bad decisions that they've made. And so they're, they're kind of at the very, very bottom, and they're looking for just one right decision that's going to reverse all of that. And, and in most cases, there isn't one. And so you've got to kind of begin to work with them that it's not just one big decision that's going to get you out of this any more than it was one big decision that got you into it. But, but you've got to begin to make a series of wise, godly choices to move out of this. And that's hard for a lot of people. So James has a lot to say regarding how do we make wise decisions. A young businessman went to an executive one day and asked for his wisdom. He said, what is the secret um, of business success? And the CEO said, wise decisions. And the employee responded, how can I learn to make wise decisions? And the CEO said, experience. And so the employee said, well, how do I get experience? And the CEO said, dumb decisions. And so again, sometimes, uh, uh, oftentimes, we learn a lot if we're wise, if we're teachable, if we're open. We can learn a lot from really dumb decisions. Uh, Christian author, uh, some of you may uh, know him, uh, John Maxwell, wrote a book one time called Failing Forward. And the whole premise um, of the book was to help pastors and leaders kind of maximize or to develop their skills um, and, and to grow from the mistakes and the failures that they've made and experienced in life. And every one of us in this room, I mean, we could pass the microphone around tonight and, and talk about the mistakes and failures that we've made. Every one of us in this room have made mistakes, had failures. No one is immune from that. However, the wise person is someone who goes through, makes a mistake, has a failure, and is able to look back on that and learn and grow um, from that. The fact is, uh, we're human. We all have this, this tremendous capacity um, for error. Sometimes we wait too long. We don't wait long enough. We pay too much. or We say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, and so uh, oftentimes we are confronted you know, throughout life with difficult decisions. I mean, some of you are, are, have made difficult decisions this past week. Some of you in this week are going to have to make difficult decisions. Um, some of you, 
you know, um, have made a series of uh, difficult decisions uh, throughout life. You know what I'm talking about. And life is full of choices. So James really kind of gives us, when it comes to making wise choices, he says there is a problem, there is a prescription, and then there is a problem. So let's talk about the problem. Uh, The biggest cause, I think, when we make unwise or or dumb decisions is really uh, comes from indecision. James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, in the Greek, that word double-minded, it means double-souled or two-souled. It means pulled apart in different directions. It can mean divided loyalties or divided priorities. And so this is a word that that James kind of makes up, but again, it's a word we all identify. We've all felt that sense of indecision, that that, uh, instability, that that kind of being torn apart, torn and pulled in two different directions. You're not really sure what you want. And so sometimes you gotta make a decision, and and you're kind of double-minded, about that decision. And again, that can be very uh, devastating, it can be debilitating, and it can make you unstable. Now the word is translated confused in some translations. Um, And again, uh, it's used to describe someone who is, you know, uh, inebriated, really drunk. They're kind of just staggering, uh, they're reeling, they're unstable uh, in all their ways. And so James is saying here, he says, you know what, if you can't make up your mind, if if you're plagued with indecision, he said it is going to produce an unstable lifestyle. He said, all your ways will be unstable and your life will be in constant turmoil. Now again, there are three ways that indecision can make you unstable. First of all, it's unstable emotions. I mean, a lot of you know the emotional strain that you experience when you can't make up your mind or you can't make a decision. You worry, you're strained, you're confused. I, I mean, you, you really aren't able to concentrate on anything else. Your full attention is kind of given uh, to that. Uh, you have the capacity not to really be able to function uh, in any other issue, any other uh, realm. You wonder, did I do the right thing? And again, it just kind of creates this emotional instability in your life when you can't make up your mind. It's kind of like the guy who goes to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist says, are you indecisive? And the guy says, yes and no. William James said, the most miserable person in the world is the person who is habitually indecisive. It causes unstable emotions. Second way is it will manifest itself in unstable relationships. Lack of commitment destroys Marriages. By the way, did you also see this week that marriage is at an all-time low in our culture now? I think it used to be, I think like maybe 20 years ago, one in 10 um, were, were uh, how did that, I should have pulled that. I, I printed it out because uh, I'm going to be preaching a whole series on uh, restoring the foundation uh, in November. And so I've been pulling articles um, for research and, and saw that one. Uh, today, but anyway, they said that the the marriage uh, that that more and more people are opting out 
um, of marriage, kind of more um, living together, uh, lack of commitment. Uh, and again, this is part of that indecisiveness. Um, and again, so lack of commitment can destroy marriages or that lack of commitment can prevent you from wanting to commit to marriage. Um, so when you can't decide, you know, do I want in, do I want out, you know, do I want to get married, do I want to stay single, uh, again, uh, it creates instability in relationships when you're unstable on the job. I mean, I've met people that, that are, man, it's like every week they've got a different and a new job. So they're just kind of switching back and forth between careers. You know, parents, how often sometimes will kids kind of try to divide you know, uh, pit one parent um, against another. You know, mom says something, dad says something entirely different. Again, we can give double messages uh, uh, to our kids, so it causes instability. Um, so the third way is is unstable life. Now, verse seven says the man will not, that man will not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Now instability or, or an unstable life, double-mindedness, uh, James is saying, it will hinder, it will block your prayers. Indecision keeps God from giving you um, and uh, for, from you receiving what God has to offer. Now, now, some people may say, why isn't God answering my prayers? Again, maybe you're not specific enough. I mean, maybe, maybe one day it's this, the next day it's the complete opposite, and there's just an indecisiveness in what you're asking um, God to do. And so, again, oftentimes God will not answer prayers because there is just this indecisiveness. Again, maybe you've never really decided what it is, and you don't have a clear-cut goal. I remember when we were uh, in the process of, of coming uh, on here uh, on staff uh, for Praise Community Church. A lot of you know that uh, we were in uh, the United Methodist Church, and, and that's an appointed system, and we were being appointed uh, to a, a new church, and uh, we were kind of at a place where we were really looking um, to maybe move uh, into another conference within the United Methodist Church into another state. Janie was from Indiana. We were really kind of toying with the idea of maybe going back uh, closer into Indiana, uh, be closer to her family. Um, and so we were really kind of looking at, at a job change, a, a, you know, a career change. We were looking at perhaps making a big move. And then the leadership here approached us about staying and pastoring here uh, in Mason City. Initially, I was not very thrilled about the idea of staying in the same uh, town, city, that uh, we had pastored a church because I just didn't want the reputation of having split a church. And so when they first approached us, we just initially said, no, we were not interested. Um, and they kind of really kept pursuing us, and it was interesting because God really wasn't opening any other doors. And it, we, I, I just remember there was probably about a week um, in between uh, all of this, there was just so much instability in me. I honestly did not know what to do. I didn't. I did not know. I mean. I mean. I had. You know. That. That list. The pros and cons. I mean. I'm talking to people that that I respected. That that I trusted their counsel. And you know. I was just. I was not getting any clear 
answer. Janie, she was, she knew, she was settled, her mind was made up. She was getting really frustrated with me because I just was kind of like, you know, one minute I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Next minute I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think we should do that. I think we need to stay in the Methodist church. I mean, it was a lot of turmoil from me, and I can just look back on that and see all of that really kind of came into play. It created unstable emotions. Uh, it created uh, spiritual uh, instability because, you know, I was really concerned because I was not hearing clearly from God on this. And, and you know, and I, I'm waiting and I, I'm praying, I'm listening, and I'm just not getting any clear message from God. And, you know, and I, I, I realized it was because I was just all over the place. And so I finally got to that point one day where I just finally kind of just, um, as much as I could, kind of just emptied myself of all of the issues, the feelings, the emotions, and just tried to get before God to hear him. And when I did that, here's what God said to me. He said, either way, I'm going to bless you. But the greater blessing will be here. I said, okay. And that, that just like was, when, when, when I heard that in my spirit, God said, I'm going to bless you either way, but the greater blessing's going to be here. I was just like, ah. Because what I feared was I was going to make a wrong decision. And what God was saying to me was, it's, it's not a wrong decision. It's really a decision between good and better, or better and best. Either way, I'm going to bless you. I was just like, ah. So it, you know, I was just able to move and we uh, came here. And so again, I, I just know from personal experience what all of that feels like. And again, if you can just get yourself to that place and just kind of try to get away from as much of that instability as possible and just try to empty yourself of, of all of the things that are waging war within you. If you can just, and if you can just get in that place and just hear God, he'll speak. Uh, and again, I'm asking, I'm saying, God, I need wisdom here. Um, and so again, I've, I've experienced this um, firsthand. So again, the problem is indecision. So what is the solution? What's the prescription? James says, get wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I love that. I love that. Oftentimes, we kind of think when we come to God that God's going to be critical or God's going to, you know, um, start uh, um, kind of uh, um, picking at us, you know. Um, and, and I love this where James just says, you know, just, he's not going to find fault. He's not going to criticize you for coming and asking. Even if you were here an hour ago asking. Even if maybe you're kind of asking the same thing over again, God is not going to find fault if you're truly seeking God's wisdom because you want to honor God. You want to do what God wants you to do. He's not going to criticize you. He is not going to find fault. And, and James says, it will be given to him. And then he gives kind of three very practical steps. He said, you admit, you ask, and you anticipate. So again, the first step there is admit your need. 
James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, again, you you can kind of detect a little bit of sarcasm uh, in that statement. He said, uh, if any of you don't have it all completely together, if there's any of you out there that, that, you know, know you don't know it all, uh, so he's kind of just, you know, kind of, I I think, uh, being a little bit sarcastic uh, in that statement. And again, he says, he's just making the point there. We all lack wisdom at times. There are just going to be things that are going to come at you in life. You're not going to know what to do, how to handle. And so he just says, you know what? When those times come, just admit that you don't know what to do. You don't have all the answers. So we all lack wisdom. And again, wisdom is different from knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. That's all wisdom is. Wisdom is just knowledge put into practice. It's walking out what God tells you to do. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective or God's point of view. Wisdom is making decisions the way God makes decisions or the way Jesus makes decisions. The word wisdom in Greek is the word Sophia, and phila, Sophia equals philosophy, the love of wisdom. Wisdom means practical application of knowledge. The Bible talks a lot about wisdom, but sometimes all we're interested in is knowledge. Oh, I just want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. And, you know, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit last week. You know what? You can get so full of biblical knowledge, and, and what it will end up doing is, in most cases, it will make you prideful and arrogant and boastful. And you'll just kind of go and you'll just begin to just kind of spurt all of your Bible knowledge out, you know. And, and I've done that. I've been there. I've done that with people um, before. And, and God's just convicted me of that. You know, all you did was just vomit knowledge all over them. There was no compassion in that. There was no grace in any of that. And so again, we, we, we just want to get full of, of knowledge. We just want to be filled up with knowledge. And oftentimes, again, if we are not careful, if we're not aware Again, there's nothing wrong with knowledge, but if we are acquiring it in the wrong ways, if we're, if we're using that in the wrong ways, again, it, it has the potential to make us prideful, arrogant, and boastful. So we just need to be careful about that. It was very, very interesting towards the very end of my um, uh, time in the United Methodist Church, they had um, come into a movement there uh, where they called it Sophia Worship. And uh, they, were, they were starting to um, come up with uh, worship services. They were coming up with liturgy. Uh, they, had, uh, they had come up with a design for communion using, I think it was like honey and wafers. Uh, and, and it was just this, it, it was just so bizarre. 
Um, and it was just this whole worship, and it was, and it was called Sophia Worship. Um, and it was just, again, the worshiping of wisdom. And, and it was just, um, uh, again, it, it's just this pursuit of knowledge. Um, and again, the, the one we want to pursue is we, we want to pursue Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to be filled with, with wisdom, not to just be filled with wisdom. We want to be filled with wisdom so that we can apply that in practical ways. And so uh, in the Methodist church, they were, they were like almost kind of going after this entity. Um, and it was just, it, it, was, it was very pagan, uh, and it had a very pagan feel to, <coughs> to it as I looked at the services that they were doing. And uh, I was in a conference one time where they uh, actually were, were kind of engaging in Sophia worship, and that you just could feel this coldness, um, you know, this spiritual kind of a sense that this was, there was definitely demonic uh, stuff in, in what they were doing. So it's just, again, very, very interesting how people will pursue and, and go after wisdom and knowledge. And again, the world is impressed with knowledge. Um, but oftentimes, what people really uh, are looking for is they're really looking for wisdom, practical ways to walk out uh, the knowledge uh, that they do. So, what do you do with your knowledge? You put it into practice and make use of it. And wisdom really is to make decisions the way God makes decisions, the way Jesus makes decisions. Proverbs 11:2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. See, pride and arrogance, man, that will block wisdom. You can't learn anything if you already think you know it all. You ever been around people that know it all? You can't teach them a thing. And so again, it, pride will block wisdom. And one of the reasons why we never learn wisdom, again, is we, we think that we have it all together or that we're expected to have it all together. And again, there just are times where we just need to admit we don't know, we don't have it all together, I don't have all the answers. And again, for some of you, that, that's hard to even do with your spouse, you know, to admit you're wrong. You were right. I should have listened more carefully to you. Uh, we've all been there. Um, so again, you know, when was the last time you've, you, you know, you've ever said, I was wrong, you know, uh, you were right. Uh, and again, that shows wisdom. When you're able to say to someone, I was wrong, you were right, I, sh I should have listened to you, and, and I'm going to listen to you more often. That's wisdom when you're willing and able to admit you don't know it all um, and have it all together. The uh, admission of lack of wisdom really is the beginning uh, of wisdom. Second practical step is ask. So you just ask for wisdom. Pray to God. Talk to him, just kind of like I did. I just said, you know, God, I need to know what you want me to do. Uh, this is a major decision in my life. It's a major decision for my family, and, and I just want to do what you want me to do. And so I just said, God, tell me what you want me to do. Give me uh, wisdom. So he says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So how do you get wisdom? By listening to Dr. Phil? No, you ask God. God is the source. 
And so the Bible says you get wisdom by asking God. That's where wisdom comes from, is it comes from God. So you talk to him about it, and you ask him for the wisdom you need to apply it in the situation you're needing wisdom for. Proverbs 2.6 says, it is the Lord who gives wisdom. From him comes knowledge and understanding. If God were to come to you one day and say to you, I'm going to give you one wish, You can ask for anything in the whole world. You can have one wish. What would you ask for? God actually gave a man that opportunity one time. God came to Solomon. He said, you are now the king of Israel. And he said, I'm going to grant you one wish. And he said, what do you wish for? What is the one thing you wish for more uh, than anything else in life? And Solomon thought, through um, very carefully his response. And he said, I am so inadequate as a leader. He wasn't afraid to admit, I'm not a proficient leader like my dad, David. So he, he acknowledges, he fesses up, he owns to it that he is not as strong, as capable of a leader at his, as his father. And he says, I do not know what to do with all these people. So he said, the one thing I need most in life is, he said, I need wisdom. I need to be able to think the way you think, God. I need to be able to see things the way you see them, uh, God. I want to be able to make decisions the way you would make them. I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to look back on life later and have regrets. We know that that didn't happen. Uh, He made a lot of mistakes uh, in there, and he said, I want wisdom. And God was really impressed with that and said, you know what, you didn't, you didn't ask for uh, riches, you didn't ask for long life, and he said, I'm going to give you those things and wisdom as well. And so it was granted. Again, God always gives wisdom to those who ask. That's what James is saying. If God came to you and said, what do you want more in life than anything else? And again, if you could have one wish from God, what would you ask for? Would you ask for wisdom? And he says, that's how important wisdom is. Proverbs 4, 7 says, if you don't get anything else, get wisdom. That's interesting to me. The reason, again, we don't have wisdom is because we don't ask. James 4, 2 says, you have not because you ask not. And, And oftentimes, he says, when you do ask for something, you're asking with the wrong motives. So again, oftentimes, we have not because we ask not. I think 20 times in the New Testament it says, ask and it shall be given. This word in the Greek literally means keep on asking. If you have a need now, ask. If you have a need 10 minutes from now, ask. If you have another need an hour from now, ask. Just ask and keep on asking. Be persistent. Don't give up. And so that's that word in the Greek. It it is to be persistent, be continual. So when it comes to wisdom, seek God's wisdom. Don't stop. Don't stop asking. Continue to ask God for wisdom. Third practical way, and then we'll stop after this, is anticipate it. You ever ask for something and then think, oh, I know I'm not going to get it? That's doubt. That That is lacking faith. Expect an answer. Expect a response. 
you anticipate an answer. He says, when you pray, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Again, circle that word on paper or there in your Bible. Again, don't doubt. If you want wisdom, first you've got to ask the right person. God's the right person. Then you've got to ask the right way. In faith, believing. Believing that you've asked God, that he's going to give it. He's going to give it generously, and he's not going to find fault. And this, uh, again, is the key um, to prayer. It's asking in faith, and it is believing that God is going to do what he's promised he's going to do. Okay, I think we're, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done. You're done. We're all done.